Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at current events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were made through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now. This episode of All Things is brought to you by Crossway, the publisher of the new book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age by Rosaria Butterfield. Modern culture is increasingly outspoken against a biblical understanding of what it means to be a woman. Even some Christians swayed by the LGBTQ plus movement have rejected God's word on issues of sexuality and gender in favor of popular opinion. In light of these pressures, it's more important than ever to help women see the truth about who God created them to be. In this powerful book, Rosaria Butterfield uses scripture to confront five common lies about sexuality, faith, feminism, gender roles, and modesty often promoted in our secular culture today. Written in the style of a memoir, this book explores Butterfield's personal battle with these lies, interwoven with cultural studies, literary criticism, and theology to help readers see the beauty in biblical womanhood, marriage, and motherhood. Pick up a copy of Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age wherever books are sold or visit crossway.org forward slash plus and get 30% off with your Crossway Plus account. Okay, well, let's dive into today's episode. I want to head into this content. Um, Muslims in the United States make up just over 1% of our population here in the U.S. They are immigrants as well as those who are born into Muslim families. Those who immigrate here come predominantly from the Middle East and Asia, and they are Lebanese, they are Syrians, Iraqis, Pakistanis, Kurds, Bengalis, and Persians. More recently, Muslim immigrants also have come from Somalia and Bosnia. And of course, most recently, we have seen so many headlines about those who come from Afghanistan. Well, here in the U.S., the five states with the highest percentage of Muslim residents are Illinois is first, then New York, New Jersey, Maryland, and Michigan. So they have the highest percentage. But the five states with the highest actual number of Muslims are New York, California, Illinois, New Jersey, and Texas. So if you live in any of those states, or even if you don't, what do you really know about your Muslim neighbors? The religion of Islam and its adherents have certainly been in the news much more frequently over the past two decades um, since the September 11th attack on the United States at the hands of terrorists who were linked to the Islamic extremist group Al-Qaeda. Now, I remember more than 20 years ago um, when the idea of Islam or Muslims were rarely in the news, something that felt like a, a true, true minority in terms of our headlines as well as our thoughts here in the United States. But definitely over the last two decades, um, it is more prevalent. Um, Muslim immigrants from Syria were certainly all over the news and headlines during the 2016 election. It seems like with every election cycle, um, immigration certainly comes up and Muslim immigrants in particular come up at some point. We often hear about Muslim immigrants from Somalia, more recently from Afghanistan. So this is something that's always in our news cycle. While these communities make headlines, I think most of us, though, really are at a loss. We hear sound bites that Islam is the world's fastest growing religion, which actually is not true. 
Um, in the world of missions, we also hear sound bites about more Muslims coming to Christ than ever before, which is at least, I think, anecdotally true. But these numbers are really hard to document. Getting the actual data is difficult, both because of how we conduct our census here in the U.S. Um, and how other countries do their census, but also because people may or may not be willing to describe themselves in certain ways with certain religious labels. So Muslims come from all over the world and they come from different ethnicities, they come from different continents, they come from different communities and traditions. And I think it's good for us to seek understanding of the teachings of Islam, so the religion of Islam in general, but then to see our Muslim neighbors as unique, specific individuals. So on today's episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Ibrahim, who is a Christian man who was born and raised in Egypt, but now he is a seminary professor here in the United States. He says most Muslim immigrants are simply seeking a better way of life. People move here because they want more freedom, more peace, better health care, more opportunities for themselves and for their families. And I think we can all certainly relate to that. Certainly as Americans living in a nation built on immigration, I think most of us are very happy to offer that to immigrants of all kinds. But what's more, as Christians, how can we offer a truly better life? How can we offer our Muslim neighbors true hope and true freedom? If you're like me, this often feels intimidating. I feel totally ill-equipped. But let's listen now to the conversation that I had with Dr. Ibrahim. Um, be sure to check out today's show notes because there will be a lot of resources, especially one that uh, a book that Dr. Ibrahim wrote. And I would love to send you away from this podcast ready and equipped to engage your Muslim neighbors for Christ. Thanks for listening in, friends. Welcome back to All Things Friends. I am joined this morning by Dr. Ibrahim, my brother in the faith and a colleague in the gospel. Dr. Ibrahim was born and raised in Egypt, and he holds two PhDs with an emphasis on Islam and its history. He's a professor of Islamic studies and the director of the Center for the Christian Understanding of Islam at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And Dr. Ibrahim has taught at several schools in the United States and the Middle East, and he's authored many books on the topic. So I'm really thankful to have him here. Welcome, Dr. Ibrahim, to All Things. It's an honor to be with you, Jen. I look forward to this conversation. So I invited Dr. Ibrahim on the podcast for a couple reasons. First of all, I read a book that he wrote, one of the many that he wrote, called Reaching Your Muslim Neighbor with the Gospel last fall. And I found it really helpful, very practical, and really just encouraging and sort of hopeful. Um, so I wanted to reach out and make sure we had a conversation. But secondly, since we discuss on all things current events and trends through a Christian lens, uh, inevitably, weekly, daily, Islam and news stories within various Muslim communities around the globe are always in the headlines here in the U.S., in Europe, around the world. And I think that the average Christian, the average Western Christian, um, and myself included in that, we struggle sometimes to make sense of the headlines. I think for us so often, Muslims here in the U.S. or in Europe feel quite far removed from us, and we're not sure what to think about their backgrounds or their immigration or the countries they come from, why they're here, what they want to do, what their goals are. We don't really know what to make of the Muslims in our midst, I think, for most of us anyway. So I really appreciate your personal experience, Dr. Ibrahim, your story, um, your expertise, and your willingness to strengthen the body of Christ in this area of weakness. So 
let's just get started. Maybe you could share your story. Your personal story is so interesting and a unique one, I think, for our spheres. So maybe you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, where you come from, and what you're doing right now. I uh, was born and raised in Egypt. Uh, Some people think I was born in a pyramid. That's not true and not (laughs) accurate. But I was born in the land of the pharaohs, as many know it. Uh, I was blessed to be uh, born um, in a nominal Christian family. But uh, then uh, the Lord brought me to know him as uh, Lord and Savior when I was nine and a half. But being born in Egypt uh, uh, was a blessing in, in one particular sense. I, I was surrounded by Muslims. Um, Muslims were my classmates. Um, I worked as an engineer later after I finished college. And I had Muslim friends. So I was surrounded by Muslims. And that is the majority population in Egypt. I understood about their religion their history, their practices. So that gave me a special background that later um, became what God uses. Um, To bless my American friends uh, um, about how to understand Muslims, how to understand their faith. And that's how I end up being a professor after I got my PhD uh, um, with an emphasis on Islam. But I think God used my background and my um, just first-hand experience interacting with Muslims to help me as I teach um, Christians how to love Muslims and to reach them out with the gospel. Mm. Growing up, Dr. Ibrahim, were you in your, you know, your neighborhood or in your school, were you quite the minority? I mean, as you say, Egypt is primarily Muslim, um, but were you somehow insulated in a community or were you often, you know, the only kid in your midst? This is who... an excellent question because it shows how many in the West don't really, uh, uh, they want to understand how Christians live uh, in other parts in the world. This is an excellent question. And I think I can say that um, there are, Several countries in the Arab world that have Christian population, that substantial Christian population. Egypt is one of them. So I would say that out of the 100 million uh, Egyptians, that's the total population, I would say there are 15 to 20 million Christians. This is nominal Christians in general. So those who are self-identified Christians and they are Orthodox Catholics and Protestant evangelicals. So to answer your question, I think I would say that uh, in my class growing up in in the primary school, uh, elementary school, I was, we had, let's say, 60 uh, uh, students or pupils. Maybe 15 of them were Christians. So that's... 10, 15, around. So that would give you uh, uh, an estimation of how many Christians um, and what is the surrounding um, uh, by Muslims in that context, you know, so. Yeah, that, no, that is very helpful. I think for many of us, myself included, it does feel very different and far removed from our own experience. So yeah. better understanding the things that shaped you is really yeah. helpful. 
Um, and, and now you live a very, you know, bicultural life, I'm sure. I'm sure you feel that tension all the time of having your roots and your foundation in Egypt, but here you are in the United States and probably navigating sort of multiple identities at the same time. That's tricky. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm really blessed to be surrounded by Christians who want to preach the gospel to Muslims mm. and want to uh, really engage the religion of Islam. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go in that direction because I think for most of us, we aren't necessarily motivated to preach the gospel to Muslims. I, for most of us, I think, well, yes, someone should do that, but not me. I'm not equipped or I wouldn't know yeah. where to begin. And so that's my hope is that our conversation can move us from sort of scratching our heads at headlines or feeling this large divide between ourselves and our Muslim neighbors yeah. where the listener might feel, okay, encouraged or equipped or, or mm -hmm. um, it would lose some of that power, you know, around it, then we would feel like we could do it. Um, so just to give a little bit of context to our conversation, what I'm thinking, you know, this summer, summer of 2023, um, as per usual, nothing unique about it in terms of news and headlines. Um, I can think just off of the top of my head, for example, here in the U.S., um, a Muslim community in Michigan really made headlines when they, um, the city council, who was who's Muslim and very conservative, said, no, we're not going to fly pride flags in our town. Yeah. Um, there was an Iranian Christian who migrated to Sweden and burned the Quran, sparking protests mm -hmm. around the world. Mm -hmm. And of course, there was that tragic death of the Muslim young man in France that led to protests. You know, so yeah. these are just some headlines that were sort of readily obvious here yeah. in the West that I can imagine really created that distance. Mm -hmm. So before we even get to the part about, okay, how do I share the gospel with my Muslim neighbor? Can you just give us some tools, put some ideas? Yeah. some wisdom in our back pocket that we would be better equipped to read those headlines and know what's going on here. Excellent. Yes. Great question, Jen. Thank you. Two tools briefly, and you, uh, anyone can read more about this in the book, uh, reaching your Muslim neighbor with the gospel. One, we need to distinguish Islam from Muslims. Okay. That's very important. Uh, Islam is a religion and it has sets of religious claims a christian would evaluate these claims and would say we do not believe such and such that's the islam that's the the religion people muslims are people that we should love and we should mm -hmm. seek to preach the gospel like any other people group and if we don't distinguish Islam from Muslims, we will end up uh, maybe disliking people. Mm. And we would be wrong because we are called to reach people with the love of Christ. Now, distinguishing Islam from Muslims is also important because some in the media tend to make just Islam look like Oh, it's like any other religion. Yeah. It doesn't have any major claims. It's just like, don't be um, um, uh, um, judgmental and all these big stuff. But this will lead to a sympathetic approach to a belief system that actually contradicts the Bible and the Christian faith. So what I'm trying to say is, 
we need to understand that we should evaluate Islam as a set of belief system and we need also to love Muslims and reach them with the gospel. This is the first tool. Mm-hmm. Second, Muslims as a people group are not all the same. <laughs> you would find that most Muslims you would meet in your neighborhood are people who are just want to live like you are mm-hmm. living. Uh, these why are they here in America? Uh, probably because it's much better than their own country. So they are really seeking to live a better life. Well, but these Muslims are not a monolithic group. We have, most of them are cult- cultural Muslims who really don't know a lot of, about Islam. If you begin a religious conversation with them, they will end up, uh, I don't know. That's mostly the answer. But then there is a minority group among Muslims that are religious. By this, I mean they understand the faith and they want to live it out on a daily basis, but they don't really necessarily want to harm anyone. They just want to live Islam as the culture dictates. Now, the last group among Muslims is a very tiny group and it's extremist, it's radical. We should acknowledge the existence of this group, but it's not all Muslims. All this is to help us navigate the conversation about what should I do as a Christian with Mm -hmm. a Muslim that I meet? I would say, engage them in a conversation. They are some of the most hospitable Mm -hmm. people. They will really love to talk about religion. It's great for Christians to begin a conversation with any Muslim you meet. Well, what if I begin a conversation and a Muslim doesn't want to talk? Move over, (laughs) begin a conversation with another one. It's normal. It's fine. But I think these two tools, distinguishing Islam from Muslims, and Muslims are not all the same, can be important and helpful in us engaging Muslims with the gospel. Yes, I appreciate that. And I do think that's so helpful in this cultural moment that we find ourselves in. I think we are tempted to reduce all people groups to just one generalization, whether it's Muslims or Christians or evangelicals, um, any race category as well. It seems that we're quick to say, well, you know, they're all like this or they're all like that. And when it comes to real life relationships and actually loving God and loving others, that really doesn't work well for us. It's more complex than that. Correct. Yes. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned something that I think might be enlightening for listeners. You said that probably what's true is your average Muslim neighbor or coworker, if they are not, if they were not born in the United States, immigrated here to pursue a better life. True. Um, And now again, noting that they're not all the same and they're not all coming from the same country. What are some things you think that the U.S offers a Muslim immigrant that was not available back home? I don't want to assume that I know the answer. Okay, freedom. No doubt. Oh, my goodness. You cannot surpass that. Mm. Many Muslims would love to come to America and the West in general because they want to have people looking over their shoulder. They want to live freedom. Trust me, more, more Muslims value this kind of freedom, although sometimes they are still stuck in their tradition and their uh, cultural background. But 
the 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 wonderful opportunity to live without someone watching over your shoulder what you're doing this is what many people are seeking mm. freedom uh, better resources of course oh my goodness see poverty in many of the muslim majority countries the arab world has 22 countries very few of them are uh, offering minimum uh, resources for the the population they have and it's just the freedom resources education uh, better honor for for a person mm. you know uh, uh, the the law uh, applying the law people here find safety because they think that okay you know what if something wrong happens against me i might get my rights from the governments because the government is protecting me as a citizen um, which is not always the case in their former countries so all these are are what drive many muslims to really mm. uh, find haven in the west and in america you know so. yes hey all things listeners do you guys know about dwell differently dwell differently is a monthly scripture memory membership each month dwell picks one verse for all of their members and followers to memorize together they put the verse on a temporary tattoo or a sticker an art print a key tag sometimes jewelry and they send it out to everyone at the beginning of the month if you're on youtube you can see my temporary tattoo right now on my forearm seeing the verse over and over on your skin or on a sticker helps you commit it to memory. By the end of the year, you have dwelt on and memorized 12 different verses. I have been memorizing scripture with dwell for about a year and a half now, and I can honestly say that the verses I've tucked away in my mind and my heart have been a source of peace or courage or just kindness from the Lord as I've recalled them in various situations. This month's dwell verse is, for this is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. Psalm 48 verse 14. So you can see in my tattoo, there's the first letter of every word that's in the verse. And recalling these words this month has actually been a huge comfort to me as we have endured various hardships and trials, remembering that my God is my God forever and ever, even into, until the end. Well, I want you guys to check out dwell at dwelldifferently.com and get a monthly subscription. Let's memorize God's word together. Check out the show notes for all of those links. You know, it's humbling to hear you describe that because the fact is we have a wealth of freedom as American citizens. Now, obviously, our country is far from perfect, but there's so much that we're born into um, or naturalized into for those who immigrate here and become citizens that I think we take for granted. Um, you know, we have we have friends who serve as missionaries in some of the 22 countries that you just mentioned where it's illegal to proselytize. And I think we can't even imagine it being illegal to proselytize. We have this gift, this freedom, this right, this opportunity, and we're sitting on it. We're not using mm -hmm. this opportunity that is actually rare when you look across the globe. It would be eye-opening for any of our audience today just to begin a conversation mm -hmm. with a Muslim about why they came mm -hmm. here, what made the country appealing. And I think our American audience will hear um, things that, oh my, I never thought about this and I was born here, you know? Sure, sure. So we clearly have some misconceptions um, and areas of ignorance when it comes to Muslims who migrate here to the United States. 
what do you think are some of the more common misconceptions that a Muslim immigrant might have of American Christians or Americans in general? Um, as I mentioned in my book, there are theological misconceptions and there is there are cultural misconceptions. And I detail this, so I, I would hope for people who want to know more to read the book. But cultural misconceptions, people mostly, we're talking about Muslims today, come to America with the wrong idea that America is Christian. And this is a complete, this is misconception that actually affects their perception of America. Because, for example, if America is launching um, um, war to do something, okay, that's a war against Islam because America is Christian. You see how this can be really misleading? Um, and then um, they come with the idea that America is Christian, so, okay, you know what? What is the image of America? Hollywood. Oh, man. <laughs> and that's a Christian. Oh, my goodness. So you see how this can be disastrous? So a Muslim might come thinking that, okay, you know, this actress is dancing uh, and wearing a crucifix. Mm -hmm. So that's a Christian. Mm -hmm. So all this is uh, under the cultural misconception. That's why... You Christians, us Christians, need to begin a conversation with a Muslim by clearing the air up and saying, I'm a committed Christian. Mm. I follow the Bible. I'm a Christ-like person. This is not Christian. I don't mess around. I am adhering to what the Bible teaches. And this is one aspect of the misconceptions. I call it um, uh, cultural. Now, about the theological, most Muslims would come with the vague idea, oh, you know what, Christians worship three gods. Um, no, <laughs> no. And how can Christians talk about this with Muslims? I write about this in detail. But then uh, another theological misconception is, oh, you Christians corrupted your Bible. You, you remove things from it. Uh, this is not the true Bible. The true Bible is gone. Uh, well, Christians would say, no, actually, this Bible is not corrupt. And we need to have a conversation about this and explain to Muslims that this is trustworthy and we can use this in the conversation about religion. So I would say we have two major misconceptions, one cultural and one theological and underneath these sub uh, the, we have other like in, details about these two misconceptions yeah that's good you know i think in in general we tend to be um sort of afraid or maybe too polite or too timid to start conversations with just about anybody, you know, whether it's our, you know, neighbor who looks just like us and probably behaves quite, quite like us. We live in such an autonomous age where we feel like, um, you know, no, people don't want to hear from me or I might say the wrong thing. Um, but I consider your life, Dr. Ibrahim, and your background, you have really been immersed in academia but then you did make a shift with this book, which is more personal to you, to, um, to your faith and sharing your faith. And so I think of the courage that was required to sort of get out of your comfort zone in those spaces where you were already moving for decades and having success 
and just really go out on a limb and and write this book of, no, I want to share my faith with my neighbors and I want to communicate that to my brothers and sisters in Christ so that they can do the same. Tell us about that shift. What makes you willing? Because I think that's a shift we all need to consider doing. I think every scholar has a religion. Mm. <laughs> if that religion is no religion, okay? And we are focused on education and academia, but we have our own disposition, okay? So me, I am a follower of Christ and I love Christ and I want Christ proclaimed. So I wrote to my church people about how you think, how you should think about Islam and Muslims. And that's how this book came out. And I, I love it, you know. Uh, I think also I want to encourage Christians to talk with Muslims because the fear that many have about Muslims comes only from the fact that Muslims are unknown. Yeah. If they are unknown, you will approach them with skepticism. So here is my encouragement for your audience today. Begin a conversation with a Muslim. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Trust me, it's not hard. And, and listen, they have in common as human beings a lot to share about. Now, again, they are different. But if you don't begin, and this is the, my two cents here. If you don't begin a, a religious conversation with a Muslim, in two minutes, they will begin the conversation <laughs> around religion. And Muslims are not easily intimidated by conversations about religions. Here in the West, once you find an American in the Starbucks and you begin a conversation, you need to talk about weather, the weather and soccer <laughs> or uh, football or whatever. Muslims don't don't go this direction. Mm. They they love religion, talking about religion. Even those who are cultural Muslims will immediately say, "Oh no no no, Allah, God is everywhere, and He is in control of everything." So I encourage the audience: begin a conversation with Muslims, be sincere about your identity in Christ, and speak about religion. There is no fear. In talking about religion with Muslims. This is great. It's and it's encouraging, and I'm feeling convicted and challenged even as we speak. Um, Dr. Ibrahim, are Muslims in the United States coming to Christ? Is that happening? I think they are coming to Christ more than ever before. Um, and I actually, in I think chapter two, I challenge the uh, claim that Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world. I think this is very inaccurate. And those who continue to spread this uh, statement or this claim don't really see what's going on. I think uh, we are in an era that is marvelous uh, in terms of gospel work among Muslims. Uh, Muslims are questioning Islam as never before. <clears throat> they are also asking difficult questions about their faith because of the access to the internet 
and how it opens um, um, discussions that were not available 20 years ago. Like 20 years ago, you needed to go all the way to a library to get a book on Muhammad's life. Now, under your fingertips, you can read about his behavior, his life, um, critical assessment about the Quran. All these things were not available that much two, three decades ago. So I think Muslims in America are really questioning Islam, especially second generation, third generation Muslims. And those who are born in different countries and coming to America as Muslims are being exposed to a lot of conversations about religions. So they are, even if they still claim they are Muslims, it's more like, um, I don't know anymore, but I will have to adhere to what I grew up with. So there's a lot of encouragements around us as Christians in terms of uh, Muslims are questioning Islam and many of them are abandoning Islam as never before. Mm. Even in the heartland of Islam, as I share in chapter 2, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Egypt, the Arab world in general, many Muslims are abandoning their faith because of waves of um, um, like uh, secularism yeah. and um, questioning the religion in general. And that's a good moment for Christians to come with the gospel of Christ and tell Muslims that they have the gospel of hope mm. um, in, in the Lord, you know? So, yeah. Do you think that hope is perhaps a primary felt need amongst Muslims? Is, is, is felt something, you know, uh, is hope something that we could speak into? Absolutely, because... Islam does not guarantee anything in the future except for martyrs in wars. Mm -hmm. They will go to paradise. But Muslims don't have any sort of guaranteed hope in this life. And I think the more you talk with Muslims, the more you will feel desperation. Um, and that's where the gospel of hope should come because Muslims are really uh, powerless. Mm -hmm. It's all in, in Allah's hands. And I don't have any guarantee of anything. I can do every good works in life. And then I end up with nothing and going to the hellfire. And uh, it's so devastating uh, for many Muslims. So this is where Christians would come humbly and share about the gospel of hope because it, it really clicks um, with the need among Muslims for a hope. You yes, know? absolutely. I think this is really a helpful conversation and has helped me to sort of disarm my guard or my sense that I have nothing to offer, or I don't know what I'll say when I cross the street or cross the classroom. Um, and really just to exhibit genuine care and love and compassion for my neighbor and curiosity. Who are you? Tell me about yourself. And just begin that friendship and, and prayerfully, with the Spirit's help, look for ways to inject Amen. hope. Um, thank you, Dr. Ibrahim, for helping us to unpack what is out there. These headlines don't need to create distance. The differences in our cultures do not need to create distance, but instead our shared humanity and our shared creator and the hope that we have can draw us toward 
our Muslim neighbors. Would you close us out just with a final word? Um, I think one one risk that I have on this podcast, All Things, is that I, I bring these things of awareness, these current events or trends or what's going on in culture to the listener's ears, and it can feel overwhelming. Well, how can I care about this and care about this and care about this? My life is already feels heavy. How would you encourage the listener to, to go ahead and lean in here to maybe not feel the weight of the responsibility of it, but to feel the encouragement and the hope of moving toward it? What would you say to them? One, pray that God would open a chance for you to engage a, a, a Muslims with conversation. Mm. Pray about this. At least just after listening to this today, tell God, God, you're sovereign. Would you please open some time for me to share yeah. with a Muslim? This is one. Number two, don't be intimidated. Christians have ha have answers to big theological questions. And this is not the case in Islam. In Islam, uh, the more you read, the more you find a lot of vague mm. concepts or answers. So don't be intimidated. Don't say that I know nothing so I can't share with Muslims. No. You actually know a lot. So don't be intimidated. Number three, be sincere, genuine. Don't pretend you're not Christian and you just want to begin a conversation with Muslim. You tell me about what you believe. I tell you about what I believe. Don't do that. No. Muslims are focused on their religion for the most part and you are a Christ follower. When you begin a conversation clearly identify yourself as a Christ follower, but also begin a sincere conversation about religion. Now, you can begin by saying something like, tell me about why you're here in America. How did you find life in America? What, and, and, and this, tell me about your siblings and so forth. Genuine conversation. But don't stop there because religion is a very essential part among Muslims in the Muslim life. And this will take you from there and begin a friendship. And this friendship would eventually lead to more conversation until you would find that you're really able to talk with Muslims about deep things in life. And many of them would just consider following Christ and coming to faith, you know? So. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Ibrahim, for bringing some clarity to this conversation. I appreciate it so much and You're trust that kind. God will use it. Thank you for your time. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you and your audience. Good to be with and you. And I will be linking in the show notes your book and where people can follow you and learn more from your expertise. So listeners, do check out those show notes and grab a copy of Reaching Your Muslim Neighbor with the Gospel. Thank you, everybody, and take care. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening to All Things, where we look at current events and cultural trends through a Christian lens. All Things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now.